I am honored to have the privilege to share with you this morning. Uh, I do have good news for you this morning. Uh, this is the only Sunday that I will be preaching in Pastor Craig's absence. Uh, Pastor Craig has set up a, a tremendous group in the upcoming weeks that uh, will be preaching. I am thankful to be going first and not to have to follow a one of them. Uh, that is a blessing, and I'm grateful for that uh, opportunity. Uh, but you are in for uh, some great treats in the upcoming weeks. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, take them and turn to Matthew chapter 14. We are going to be looking at uh, the, um, the account of Jesus walking on water. Uh, very familiar story, but we want to begin by looking at the uh, kind of the setting before this and what takes place earlier in the chapter uh, 14 of Matthew's gospel. And it begins uh, with the horrific uh, killing, the murder of John the Baptist by King Herod. Uh, it is uh, following that that Jesus hears about the death of his friend and his cousin. Uh, that uh, And as he hears about uh, John's death, he desires to withdraw to a desolate place to pray and to mourn. In this, we see Jesus' humanity. I, I don't know that there's anything more human than when we mourn the loss of those that we love very much and that are our dear friends. However, the people follow the boat on foot and they come in droves, uh, bringing their sick, and Jesus does not send them away. Instead, he has compassion on them. He heals their sick. And I think that we should take note of that, that oftentimes when our hearts are broken and when we are hurting the most, sometimes the best thing that we can do is to follow Jesus' example and serve and help others during our time of pain, loss, and hurt. Evening comes. The crowd is still there. Jesus has been healing the sick and has been teaching. The disciples come and say, it's time for the people to go away. They've got to go and eat. We don't have any food. We need them to go away uh, for the evening. And Jesus uh, tells the disciples to have them seated. And you know the miraculous story of the feeding of the 5,000. That occurs there. Well, that is the backdrop for where we're going to be this morning. Is those events, the feeding of the 5,000. And now, Jesus, we see his interaction with his disciples and his instructions to them. Beginning with verse 22, going through verses 33. Please follow along as we read. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, some two or three miles from shore, being tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, or as the ESV says, the wind was against them. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Frankly, they were scared to death. 
saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. Literally, he said, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. And Peter had and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was bolsterous, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, Father, I pray that you would cause us to be attentive to what you desire to say to us by your Holy Spirit. We exalt you and give you praise for the power of your spirit that moves among us, that draws us to us, uh, to draws us to you, and that teaches us from your word of truth. Father, in these next few minutes, I pray that your word of truth would go out forth, and Father, that it would impact lives. Father, as we hear the encouragement of your word, Father, as we are challenged by your word, and Father, as we have the opportunity to respond to your word, Father, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted, and as a result of that, that we would draw close to you. In Christ's name, amen. One thing that each of us, whether we are here in this room or whether we are watching online, that we can agree on and that we can and we know by our experience that is true is that real and figurative storms are a part of every one of our lives a week or so ago as a matter of fact it was a week ago yesterday our family uh, had the opportunity to go out on Lake Lanier we had rented a boat with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their girls and He's a pastor in Gainesville, and so we had been trying to get it set up and had missed because of some weather, and it finally worked out. We could go out on the lake uh, this past uh, uh, Saturday as a week ago, and we were planning for a great time, and uh, it started off with the Sahara dust storm, if you remember that, and uh, it was hazy pretty much all morning, uh, but we still enjoyed ourselves, and as that began to, uh, to burn off some, uh, we had gone up to the north side of the lake and to let the kids jump off of the rock up uh, in the Chastity area and had ran into some friends and got caught up talking with them uh, on their boat. And when we turned back south, we realized that there was a storm coming. And it was an extreme, extremely dark cloud and it appeared to be moving quite quickly. Uh, and before we could get... Uh, very far down the lake, it was on us. And the winds were extreme. Uh, we were on a, a, a pontoon boat, and it seemed to be wanting to pick up the front of the boat. And there were 
white caps and the lake had been covered with boats. There were masses of people everywhere until the storm hit. I don't know what they knew that we didn't, but they knew somewhere to go that we didn't know to go because they were gone. And it was almost as the lake was desolate as we were headed back to the south end of the lake to the marina. Uh, it was during that time that uh, I think there were several of the girls that were down in the, uh, the floor of the boat with towels over their head that were, were doing much praying, and we were grateful for that. Uh, it was definitely some white-knuckle times for, uh, for definitely uh, a few minutes there. Uh, I don't know, honestly, that we knew how scared we should have been uh, until we rounded the corner to the marina, and uh, there were two ambulances and two fire trucks and a rescue boat that were there to greet us. Uh, it turned out that a sailboat had capsized in the storm. And so we made it safely back. And, uh, but there were several times that I wondered if we weren't going to see Jesus just walking out across those white caps uh, there on Lake Lanier. But it is amazing how quickly things can change in just a short amount of time when we are just cruising along life with sun and calm seas and then all of a sudden, chaos strikes. Well, as it has been said by many people many times, in life, you're either entering in the middle or exiting a storm. So over the next few minutes, it is my prayer that our time together will be extremely helpful and practical to you. The first lesson that we learn from Jesus and his disciples is that Jesus sent the disciples into this storm. And he will send you and I into storms also. That's the first point on your outline that you have, if you have it in front of you. God will send us into a storm. Verse 22 says that Jesus made or compelled his disciples to go into the boat, uh, to, to get into the boat and to go to the other side of the sea. Jesus is omniscient all-knowing. So he knew that a storm was coming. He also knew that this was just the place his disciples needed to be. The disciples needed to be away from the crowd who wanted to force Jesus to be their king. Jesus did not want the disciples to be influenced by uh, the uh, enthusiasm of the, uh, of the crowd. He also wanted to test his disciples and allow them the opportunity to exercise their faith. This storm was for the disciples' good. And many times, God sends you and I into storms for our good. Our faith is not tested nor practiced while we're sitting on the proverbial beach under an umbrella with our toes in the sand. Real Christ-like faith is tested and lived out when we are forced to launch out into the deep waters of difficulty where storms and danger lurk. One of the first times that I learned this was at the end of my freshman year in college. I was given the opportunity to go on a short-term mission trip with three other folks from my college Baptist uh, student ministry group. We were going to Eastern Europe for 10 days. Our first stop was to be Moscow and then on to Hungary and then from there to Romania. Uh, the three of us were responsible for getting ourselves from Atlanta to JFK in New York. I had flown one time before that 
It was a domestic flight. I had prayed. I had prepared. I had planned for this trip for months. Many friends and family had given sacrificially so that I could go on this trip of a lifetime to serve and to do ministry. However, things don't always go as you have planned when you're traveling, especially when you don't know what you're doing. We checked our bags. We realized we had some extra time. We were a bit hungry and we wanted to get a hamburger. So instead of paying for expensive airport hamburgers, the youth minister that had driven us down said, hey, there's a McDonald's that's just a bit outside the airport and I can take you over there and we can get a meal. Some of you already know where this is going. Well, we got our meal, we're enjoying it, and realized that time had gotten away. We rushed back to the airport. Our luggage is already checked. We have our boarding pass. So we rushed to security. We go through. Unfortunately for me, I don't get all of my items. I get to the plane train and realize I don't have my camera bag. So I rush back to grab it. Unfortunately, by the time I get back to our flight, the doors have closed. The plane is sitting there, but I'm not going to be going on it. It is at that point, and from there, over the next 24 hours, that I will miss three flights. Every flight that I do get boarded on will be late. It was about midnight at JFK Airport that I remember going to the men's room, going to one of the stalls, and just crying out to God, What are you doing? I know that I am in your will. I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm supposed to be going. How could this be happening? A great lesson was learned for me on that trip. That just because the wind is against you does not mean that you're going in the wrong direction. The disciples are in the boat. Jesus is not with them. He was away praying. They could not see him. They had no idea that he could or would come to their aid, much less rescue them. While Jesus was praying, I have no doubt that he was praying for them. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 gives us this great encouragement. And I hope it's great encouragement to you. It is Christ who is even at the right hand of God right now who also makes intercession for us. And that's what I believe that Christ was doing for his disciples. That he was interceding for them, praying for them as they were in the middle of the storm. Mark's gospel tells us in his account that he saw them in the midst of the storm. But still the question remains, why would Jesus send the disciples into the storm? And for me, why would Jesus allow me to miss three flights on a mission trip to distribute Bibles and share the gospel? Warren Wisby stated, 
The disciples were safer in the storm in God's will than on land with the crowds out of God's will. And so it is with us. We are safer in God's will even when things don't go as we have planned or even as we have prayed. In the Bible, we see two types of storms. Storms of correction, much like what we see in the life of Jonah, where God is disciplining us. Where Jonah had been fleeing from God's will, God's plan, choosing not to obey God. But we also see storms of perfection that help us to grow. James 1 verse 2 helps us to understand the purpose and the benefit of these storms of perfection. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So do not immediately assume when you or someone around you is going through difficulties or struggles or experiencing challenges that it is because they are not obeying God or not in His will. You may be witnessing a storm of perfection. No, we all go through storms. Tough, difficult times that cause us to fear, cause us to doubt. But be encouraged, these times are the fertile soil for our faith to be exercised and to grow. In verse 26, we see that the disciples were afraid. They were terrified. They were literally scared to death. Oftentimes, we wonder how they could be so weak and lack so much faith. They had just seen Jesus perform the great miracle of feeding the 5,000. But now they are on their own in the middle of the sea and they can't see Jesus. When we are in a storm, we must remember that God is never absent in our storm. That's the second point on your outline. God is never absent in our storm. It is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The disciples have been straining at the oar for six to nine hours. They're some two to three miles offshore when Jesus comes walking on the water. Now I want you to let those words kind of sink in and wash over you. Jesus, who was God in flesh, but to these disciples, he was a man that looked just like them. Jesus comes walking on the water. Sometimes these words and these stories are so familiar to us, we've heard them since we were small children, that we lose how amazingly supernatural they actually are. But now for others of you, for others of you, this story and other stories like it are incredibly disturbing because you can't understand it nor make rational sense of it. It defies logic, physics, and the laws of nature. When you hear the words that Jesus comes walking on the water, 
It demands that you either accept that Jesus is God. He is not like any other man that has ever walked on the face of this earth. Or you are left to attempt to explain these, this event and others like it away. In doing that, you choose to neuter the supernatural power of God. Some have tried to say that the disciples were mistaken and Jesus was just walking on the shore. Others have said that the water was shallow and Jesus waded out to the boat. Frankly, none of this makes any sense. I think we have two simple choices. We can either believe that Jesus is fully God and not limited in any way, or we can just call him, his disciples, and the Holy Scriptures liars and a fairy tale. But the reality, the reality for these disciples of seeing a human figure out on the rough seas created even more fear for them until Jesus speaks. And Jesus speaks, says, be of good cheer. Take heart, literally Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. You know, this could have been a time for Jesus to give them a strong rebuke. He could have asked them where their faith was, why they didn't expect him to be coming, why they didn't recognize him. But that's not what we see. We see him saying, take heart, take courage, it is I. The same that God had said to Moses at the burning bush, I am. I am. I am with you. Do not be afraid. You know, at this point, Peter interrupts Jesus. I've often wondered what, what Jesus would have continued to say and the encouragement he would have continued to give all the disciples if Peter hadn't have interrupted. But Peter did what Peter does, and that's speak out. And so here we see another example of Peter's impetuous and boisterous personality. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Then Jesus gives the command to come. And Peter is out of the boat and miraculously he is walking on the water toward Jesus. The second person ever to be walking on the water. This brings us to our third point of the outline. Storms are opportunities to trust God. Storms are opportunities to trust God. While all the other disciples are content to be fearful in the boat, the fast to speak, slow to think, impulsive Peter wants to be with Jesus on the water. Peter exercises real faith to step out of the boat and into the raging sea. 
The miraculous thing is that Jesus causes Peter to also be able to walk on the water. All is going well while, Peter's, while Peter is focused on Jesus. But when Peter is distracted by the chaos and wind around him, he takes his focus off of Jesus and begins to sink. This is the point where some Bible teachers, preachers, and commentators take some hard shots at Peter. They wonder how he could have such a weak and flawed faith. He had seen Jesus do amazing things. He had just watched Jesus come walking on the water. He had just taken steps on the water and had not sunk. But then he got scared and begins to sink. You and I need to remember that he was the only disciple that had the courage enough to get out of the boat. I admire Peter for his risky faith. I also am incredibly thankful for his example in prayer. His prayer of salvation when he begins to sink and he cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, save me. There is not a more beautiful prayer than the humble prayer, Lord, save me. John Piper, pastor and teacher, recently stated, I have prayed no prayer more often than Lord, help me. God is greatly moved by hearts that humbly admit that they can do nothing without Him, that they are hopeless Lost and drowning without the Lord's mighty saving and sustaining hand. Have you, have you admitted that you are sinking and drowning in your sin and hopelessness without Jesus? Is that your testimony? Can you overcome your pride, your fear to step out of the boat into the sea of belief where you can see, where you can't see the bottom and you don't have all the answers to every question. But you believe in simple faith that Jesus is the one who can save you and will protect you. There is a great confidence. There is a great hope, peace, and calmness that you can have in your heart when you pray the simple prayer, Lord, save me. And knowing that he will answer your prayer just as he answered Peter as he reached out to him when he was sinking into the sea. As soon as Peter says, Lord, save me, Jesus reaches out, takes him, saves him, and then he issues these words of encouragement. Some have taken these words to be harsh words of rebuke. I see them as words of encouragement from a teacher and mentor. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter, the impulsive, brazen, proud leader of the disciples is often the example of swings from great faith to weak and ineffective faith. We see this as he is with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And as that event is concluding, it's Peter who says, and kind of bumbles through with the claim of, why don't we build tents here? Pitch tents here. 
and just stay. It's Peter who declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, only to be rebuked as a tool of Satan a short time later. He boasts that he will remain with Jesus even if it costs him his life. But within a day, he has denied Christ three times. But this one, this one they call Simon, is the one that Jesus called Peter, the rock. My friends, it matters what God calls us. Because that is what we can become. Someone someone may have told you that you don't matter. Someone may have told you that you're not smart enough, that you're not good looking enough, that you're not ever going to be successful enough. But let me remind you that it matters most of all what Jesus calls you. For some of you, there are some here and some that are listening to this message and will listen to it, that God is calling. He's calling you to be preachers, to be missionaries, evangelists, teachers, doctors, nurses, leaders. It matters what God calls you. The story is told of a young skinny pitcher who was drafted into the Dodgers organization had an extraordinarily accurate and strong arm, but he was somewhat timid. Dodger manager Tommy Lasorda saw him, saw his potential, but he saw that he lacked the fierce competitiveness that was necessary to be an effective major league pitcher. So he ultimately gives this young man the nickname Bulldog which was completely opposite of who this kid was and what his personality was. However, over the years, Or Hershiser would become one of the most tenacious competitors who has ever pitched in a major league game. The nickname became a perpetual reminder of what and who he ought to be. Well, Jesus knew that Simon had within him what it would take to be the leader of the disciples and ultimately of the first century church. He would become Peter, the rock that Christ knew he could become when he changed his name. So I ask you again, what has God called you to be? What name has he given you? Now, they get in the boat, the winds cease, which now brings us to our final point. Storms are where we see God most clearly. The storms of life are where we see God most clearly. Jesus escorts Peter into the boat, and the winds stop, and the, storm, and the sea becomes calm. The other 11 disciples who remained in the boat had watched all that was going on when the winds stopped. All the disciples worshiped Jesus and declared this truth. Truly you are the Son of God. The result of going through the storm and being rescued by Jesus demanded that they worship His divine identity. 
They had just seen that he is not limited by the laws of nature as he had walked on the water. And that all creation is subject to his authority as he calmed the wind and the sea. You know, it's been over 20 years since those events. Well, to be honest, more close to 30 of those events traveling to Eastern Europe. But God still brings to mind that time of being in a restroom at JFK Airport calling out to him, Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. Lord, I need your help and I need you to show up and you to do something. And God, by his graciousness, he did that for a 19-year-old boy. That caused my faith to grow. As much as anything on that trip, we saw thousands come to Christ as a result of that trip. We distributed thousands of Bibles. But seeing God rescue me at the point where I had no answers and frankly was scared to death. Frankly, more of personal failure than personal safety. That's the ignorance of a 19-year-old. But in that of seeing God's provision of me arriving ultimately in Moscow, hailing a cab by myself, getting to the Cosmos Hotel, and joining our team for dinner that evening. That resulted in faith growing and developing, but it does that in the soul of storms and challenges and at times chaos. But it also led me, just as these disciples, it led to me to a deeper level of worship. So, we should be reminded that worship should always follow salvation. Yes, Jesus is a friend to us. He's a good shepherd. But we can never forget that he is first the God of the universe. Storms that throw things out of control help us to see clearly the sovereign, the sovereignty and the mighty power of God. This should produce more than amazement. Instead, it should propel us to worship. Worship must follow salvation. When we are saved from the storm, we can see our Lord more clearly and humbly worship Him for what he has done, for his might, and for his salvation that he has brought to each of us. This morning, our sermon in a sentence is the contrary winds of life will be against us, but Jesus always walks above the wind and waves to bring calmness and peace and ultimately saves those who trust in him so that we can worship him.
so many in this room and so many that are watching online, I've had the privilege of hearing your stories. I, I know, I know the experiences that you've gone through. I know that you have experienced the winds of life that have been contrary and have been against you. Events that have disrupted your plans, pushed you off of your course. But I want to encourage you that God is in the midst of that. And that He desires those to be storms of perfection for your good. To bring you to a greater level of sanctification. That you could be more useful to Him. That you could grow in a deeper level of worship to Him as Lord. For some of you this morning, you need to, for the first time, cry out. As Peter did when he was sinking in the water, Lord, save me. For the first time, acknowledge your need that you are hopelessly lost without Christ. I assure you on the authority of God's word that God will hear that prayer and that he will save you, that you will become a child of his, that he will redeem you, that he has a plan, a purpose, and a desire for your life. And he has a name that he would desires to call you and to make you. More than you could ever imagine and use you in ways that you could never dream of. This morning, it is my prayer that those of us who are called God's children, who have cried out, God save us, that we never get to the point that we forget to cry out, Lord, help me. And that when God does miraculously come in providing and caring for us, bringing healing and care in amazing ways, it is my prayer that we are not just amazed, but it propels us to deeper worship of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we have the privilege of responding Things continue to be different in how we do that. If you're here with us this morning, if you would desire for Pastor Dave or myself to pray with you, if we can talk with you about maybe the storm that you're going through right now. Or maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and that you are keenly aware of your need to cry out to God to save you. We would love to spend some time talking with you, looking at Scripture, and helping you to unpack that and come alongside you in discipling you in that confession of faith. And that is the same for all that are watching online. There is a card a commitment card that is on our website, on the homepage. You can click on that. You can let us know and we will be in touch with you. You can call the number that will be posted on your screen that I gave earlier in the service. And we will get in touch with you. We would love 
to help you. And we would love to come alongside you in your journey of faith as you confess that God alone through Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you and make you whole. That is why Ivy Creek exists, is to lead others to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and proclaim the word of truth. That is our sole hope in any day and in any storm. As we close, please join me as we pray. We will sing a song and then those that are here will exit as we have in previous Sundays, single file beginning at the back uh, up to the front. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in it. That no matter the difficulties, the challenges, no matter the storms that we face in this life, we can have confidence that you step above it all. Because you are sovereign, you are great, you are mighty, and you are the one that controls each and everything. Father, we take great comfort in that. It gives our hearts great peace. I pray that you would walk with each of us this week and that we would walk with you for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name, amen.